Hello, good evening. Tonight, I thought we'd try something a little different. I think we are, this stream is going to mark our evolution beyond, beyond video streaming. Well, it's an experiment, as a lot of this is an experiment. Tonight there will be no video. Well, there will be video, but the video will be this. And so the idea here is that when you're not using your eyes, they should, you should close them. And with your eyes closed, you can just listen. And when you hear, you can say hearing, hearing. And you can receive the teachings because the teachings are not visual. They're audio. You can receive the teachings and then go back to your meditation much easier. It also hopefully helps to keep us focused on this rather than getting distracted by other visual stimuli, like other, other web browser tabs or applications you might have open, or your telephone or this and that. So it's experimental, we're going to try this out, let me see here. Hmm. And we should have our first question coming up. How does one do mindfulness of death? So mindfulness of death is the contemplation or the meditation on conceptual death. There are three kinds of death. There's kanika marana, which is death at every moment. Samuti marana, samuti marana, which is conceptual death. And then there's samuchida marana, which is death by cutting off. Like complete cut, cutting off death, like a real death. 
So Kanika Marana, we die every moment. Every moment we're born and die, and it's important. The death is death part is important because it means nothing lasts. So we can see that things are born, but we don't realize that what that means is that they also die very quickly. Seeing arises and ceases, it's born and dies and so on. Samuti Marana means the concept. We say this person died, that person died. It's actually just a concept. In reality, we're born and die every moment. And the moment of death, that doesn't change. The process of arising and ceasing just continues on and on. But we see externally, we say, oh, this person died, that person died. For the person who died, it's quite different experience. So it's actually quite the same experience. They they continue just as they have. Nothing changes. Samucheda Marana is when you cut off defilements. When the mind changes the way it looks at reality, realizes, hmm, clinging is not worth it. And there's cessation and the mind releases itself, its its hold on samsara and then the defilements are cut off the mind is pure and there's a purity that is stable and lasting so mindfulness of death is usually referring to the second death and in that sense it's focusing on a concept it's not focusing on reality. It's focusing on an idea, something that will construct in the mind. But which is backed by very real events, right? It's, it's very real. The experiences when we die are very real. And so the two are connected. So mindfulness of death is where we actually remind ourselves. Because of course, mindfulness, the word sati, means to remind yourself. So when we say to ourselves, hearing, hearing, we're reminding ourselves that that's just hearing. When you say to yourself, my life is in, uh, in unstable. Death is a constant, stable, stable fact. When you remind yourself like that, it helps to focus your attention on, on the realities which are going to prepare you for that event. Because when you remind yourself, you remember that oh, there could be a lot of stress and suffering at that time, worry and fear and clinging and so on. And so it helps to connect you to actual mindfulness practice. It, is, it isn't the same as practicing mindfulness the way we do it, but it's a good support. It's a good thing to do regularly. So again, if you're just joining us, this is a new format. We've evolved beyond video. The idea is to focus your attention inward. And if you're not reading the question, you can just close your eyes.
Your eyes are like light, light bulbs. When you're not using them, turn them off. Shut them. Oh, it just changes. Okay, well, looks like it's just changed. So now we have a new question. Is it okay to cry during meditation? There's no okay or not okay. What happens is is not the okay, not okay. So you're not choosing to cry. I mean, if you're if you're consciously deciding to cry, that might be a problem. But it's not the crying, it's the consciously deciding to cry. I had one meditator once, many years ago, who really felt like his meditation wasn't successful if he didn't have a good cry in front of me. Or whoever was his teacher. He had had other teachers before me, but when he came to me, he had to cry every time he came. And uh, so there were other people sitting with me once, and he asked if they could all leave, because he said, I can't cry in front of them. So there was some kind of attachment to crying. I had to sort of set him straight. So the, the question should be formed, what should I do if I cry during meditation? Because unless you're consciously deciding to cry, which I hope you're not, because especially because crying can be addictive. It releases certain brain chemicals, and those are pleasant, actually. They're meant to be pleasant. Crying is, I guess, supposed to um, pacify you. It's meant to dull pain, you know, soothe pain, that sort of thing. But if you do cry, you would say to yourself, crying, crying. And for meditators, it's actually can be quite different. It comes from rapture, nothing to do with sadness often. And you just know crying, crying. If you feel pleasant or painful or liking or disliking, try and note those as well. Let me know if the text is too small. Oh, it's changing on the fly. That's dangerous. Maybe I should up the text size. So psychiatric meditation improves conditions such as depression and schizophrenia. So aren't they partially physical? First of all, they're not problems. They're not things even. Schizophrenia especially. These are diagnoses by doctors which are useful for them, useful for the patients. They're not really useful for us as meditators. Even depression is a bit misleading. Because depression implies a thing that, that persists over time. It really does. You can't be depressed for a moment, right? Depression is a long-term thing. 
the moments are moments of disliking and with depression, moments of sadness or just generally disliking of some sort. And that's what's real. That's what we focus on because those cultivate habits. Those become habitual. Our responses to them become habitual. Our thoughts around them become habitual and that creates the problem. So we try and change those habits by focusing on the realities. Trying to understand them, see them clearly rather than judge them and react to them. Schizophrenia is even more clearly not a thing. The reality is the experiences. So with schizophrenia, there's often more hallucinations. I'm not sure if schizophrenia is always... I don't think it's always um, accompanied by hallucinations, but there are the hallucinations. Now, even hallucinations are a bit misleading because hallucination implies it's not real. And real, it's, it's, a, it's a misguided um, delineation of what is real and what is not real. Experience is always real. If it's experience, it's real. If someone's telling you to kill yourself, you hear a voice and it's telling you to kill yourself, that sound is real. That, that experience is real. What's not real, usually, is the existence of another living being telling you, like, like creating that. It's usually just your own mind creating that. But that doesn't matter. That's not important. That's absolutely not important. What's important is the experience and your reaction to the experience. So if you hear things and the experiences are those are very physical, usually products of the brain, I understand, products of, you know, the conglomerate state that we find ourselves in. And you would say hearing, hearing. If you see something, you say seeing, seeing. But I think another important thing about Schizophrenia, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know how they how they delineate it, how they define it, is paranoia. And to some extent, paranoia is uh, is a reaction. But this but partially um, paranoia is not just a reaction. It's thoughts. Which which in fact are just another experience like hearing. If someone says to you, kill yourself. Or you think to yourself, I should kill myself. Or if I kill myself, I'll become enlightened. That sort of thing. We might call delusions these things. But we don't, in meditation, I wouldn't call them delusions at all. I had one, We had one monk in our monastery who um, he eventually tried to kill himself. But he, he was having horrible thoughts about his parents, I think, to kill them. You know, thoughts, I should kill my parents, that sort of thing. And it, it drove him crazy, literally. He was so stressed out that it just drove him crazy. I think he was schizophrenic. But but all that means is is he was... I mean, what does that even mean? It means his experiences were different from most people's experience. Generally, people were to judge it, they would say, yes, these are very different from the average ordinary but person. But these are still experiences. So when a person experiences... Um, a thought, then one should say to oneself, thinking, thinking. The important goal is to focus on the thought as just thought. And so paranoia, again, should not be, you shouldn't see it as paranoia. That's not a very good way of describing it. There's the thought, 
and thoughts can be completely out of your control. You should not judge the thoughts or feel bad. This man, this monk who was so upset that he was having these thoughts, it was ridiculous because they were just thoughts. And we absolutely aren't in control of our thoughts. You might think the most horrible things, but it's not you thinking. And that's that's can have a very physical uh, basis. The creation of thoughts from, from the physical, what we call the brain and the, this whole conglomerate body creating these thoughts I should kill my parents I should kill myself I should do this, I should do that the government's watching me there's another monk, a Thai monk and he was absolutely sure this would be labeled schizophrenia he was absolutely sure that that the government had planted a microchip in his skull and he'd spend a lot of money having uh scans of his of his head to to find the chip and he, every scan showed that that there was there wasn't one and i asked him i said so okay if 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 you've had these scans do you trust them yes i trust them but you still believe you have a microchip in your head yes i still believe i have a mic it was like he almost knew that he was delusional but but it didn't stop him from having the delusion so the thought is not a problem. Try and focus on the thought. See the thought is just thinking, thinking. It's not easy. This monk, he did quite well, actually. We, we talked and, and I sort of gave him my advice on meditation, but I don't know how far he got. He, he was a very nice guy. He wasn't evil or angry or hateful towards anyone. He just had a real problem. Uh, but the other side is the reaction to it, how it makes you feel, how you judge it, and so on. So all of that points to me to saying that, yes, there are physical components, there are also mental components. We're not so concerned about the physical. I mean, we are concerned as uh, with them as objects, but we're not concerned with them as changing them. So when you say that psychiatric meditation improves conditions, I would debate that. It ameliorates and lessens the arising of certain uh, states and it puts less stress on the psyche and because there's less there's less stress on the psyche uh, you're less likely to give rise to judgment and reaction but it doesn't mean you're you're any less capable of reaction or that that by taking the drugs you're going to react less in the future it actually is i would say the opposite in, in in many cases, the opposite, that you become more reactionary. It's just like with anything. When you take painkillers, you're more reactionary to pain. So being challenged is important. It's one reason why mental medication is problematic for meditation. I would say, if, uh, if there are any doctors out there, they really shame on any doctors who don't... Um, well, I don't know. I, I I guess I shouldn't be judgmental. I don't really know the situation, but I would I would say um, absolutely doctors should be um, looking into this and trying to understand and work on ways to to challenge people who are on medication, challenge them to face their problems rather than trying to just find ways. So the the, sh- the shame on you would be let's find a way to, so that you don't have these symptoms. Let's find a way to help the, reduce these symptoms to a level that you're able to 
confront them. And then slowly work on confronting them more and more and more until you don't need the medication. That's absolutely how it should be done. That's how I would do it if I were allowed to. You know, if it, without, without legal ramifications. That's how I've done it in, in Asia. So if I were in an Asian country, I could help people with that. Here, I don't think I can. Does meditation require a belief in the spiritual? Meditation doesn't require beliefs at all. I don't know what you mean by the spiritual. I mean, I can sort of take a guess, but meditation requires observation, requires a perspective. So if you've read my booklet, that's what I would recommend. Ruminated on death my entire life. What is the difference between rumination and meditation? Well, nothing necessarily. But rumination could potentially imply some reaction. Proper meditation should be done with a wholesome mind, with a clear mind. So if you, if you are intently focusing, determinedly focusing on death and its meditation. If you're rather obsessing about it, like worrying about it, afraid of it, working yourself into a frenzy about it, that's not meditation. Do we act wholesome based on a concept of rebirth, or can it be independent of that? Yeah, absolutely independent of that. It's based on your understanding of reality, your, your clarity of perspective. Seeing things clearly is what's important. There's no concept of rebirth. There's just the appreciation that when I die, nothing changes. So it's the null hypothesis. We have our, our observations, and this is in the scientific sense, right? In science, you, observe, you make observations. Our observations are, to the best of our knowledge, that uh, things arise and cease. Cogito ergo sum. What exists is, is experience, is the cognition the conscious experience. That's all we are aware of. That's all we can know for sure. Everything else is speculative. So when we say that at the moment of death that stops, that's speculation. When we say that doesn't stop, that's to the best of our knowledge what happens because we have no knowledge, most of us, of what happens. So to the best of our knowledge, nothing happens when we die, which means it continues. So so why that's important is because you don't get away with doing bad deeds, right? If you were to look at reality and say, oh yes, look, when I get angry, bad things happen. My mind changes, I become corrupt. But that's okay, because in some number of years, it's all going to get cut off. If you believe that, if you have that wrong belief, that baseless 
wrong, well, not baseless, but poorly based wrong view, wrong belief, that's going to cause you problems. It's going to cause you problems when you die. So you're looking at it backwards. You, you, um, you're understanding that we, when we don't die, nothing. When we when we die, we don't die. Your understanding of that validates and amplifies the importance of what you see for yourself in the present moment, which is cause and effect. There is the importance of acting wholesome, but the importance of acting wholesome is is absolutely fundamentally based on on observation in the present moment. It always feels like indulging in pleasure when I think of others or myself being at peace. Is that okay? It can be indulging. It can be indulgent, but it's generally speaking a, a wholesome state, so there's there's generally no greed directly associated with it, but you can become attached to it, right? You like that feeling outside, outside of it, and you want that feeling again and that sort of thing. But but it's not that. I mean, it's not really dangerous. The danger is that it's impermanent, it's unstable, it can't be controlled forever. So the real danger is you get obsessed with it and, and focused on it and then you waste your time and you've maybe been reborn in a good place or been reborn in a Brahma world, but you haven't become enlightened. So the danger is really in its limitation. What besides meditation is relevant or important? Nothing. <laughs> no, that's not fair. Nothing is as important or important on the same level, but there are lots of things that are important. Um, I think I'll refer you to my my talks on the Sabasa Sutta. I think I must have given many talks. I'd say the same talk again and again. But on the all of the all the taints, I think is what it's called. Or yeah, what I need here is someone posting video links. If Shraddha, if you're on here right now, we really are going to try to set up. We should try to set up a a doc. First of all, we'll set up a Google Doc where you've copied all the con everyone's questions into it, and I can just look at that instead of scrolling through this. Although the scrolling is easier, I think now that I'm highlighting stuff. I can see where I'm at. And the second thing is to post links to videos. So I have to give you permission for that, I think. But lots of things like ethics are important, um, patience is important, abstention from certain things is, well, that's the same as more ethics, but um, I mean like avoiding certain things is important, like avoiding bars and prostitutes and that sort of thing.
I like that this is a little less frenetic, this, this format. Forces everyone to slow down. It should be fairly unfamiliar. Or maybe old school familiar, like in the old days. But there's a lot less activity here, right? You don't you don't see my face, you don't see my my uh, facial expressions, you don't see my room. So there's none of that going on. You're you're presented with something fairly dull, fairly boring and ordinary, and it challenges you. It forces you to be with yourself more, because the object is not so interesting. And probably sometimes there's going to be the um, inclination or the desire, the impulse to go look somewhere else or click on Facebook or something, open up two tabs, three tabs, five tabs, ten tabs, how many tabs do you all have open? But you have to fight, you have to work on that. This is the work that we do to stay focused. Any thoughts on out-of-body consciousness states? Not really, but except to say that they're not really a part of the path could be interesting, could be mind-opening, like in the sense of, wow, this is also possible. But ultimately you have to let them go and just try to see things clearly as they are. point of Buddhism to get out of experience is it equals to suffering. I mean, to some extent, yes, but it's just the wrong way of looking at it. Buddhism is about freedom from suffering. And for, for absolutely everyone, 99.99% of people, that just means less stress, less reaction to pain, perhaps even less pain. And it's it's the extrapolation of that when taken to its perfection that ultimately leads one to you might call graduation to to being free from from experience from samsara. But it's not like, oops, I started meditating last week and I've already left samsara. I've, I have no more experience. It's 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 so far removed from that as to make it ridiculous. Lifetime after lifetime you might practice. And all you're doing is freeing yourself from suffering. You become, you suffer less, suffer less. You see things more clearly. It's like you're, you're finally seeing reality. It, it actually brings you closer to experience. It helps you understand this whole universe much, much better. And it's that understanding that allows you to say, okay, I've had enough some time for most people in the future for people who haven't yet had enough it will be far far in the future for those people who have had enough it, it could be quite soon much sooner for them if they've really and truly and deeply and in, in, a, in a, a profound way had enough When anger is needed to establish order on a situation, should one be angry or simply let it go with a f with a few consequences? Well, I mean it's a it's a gray area in the sense that it's hard to say without knowing the specifics. But you never need to be angry. 
So, so I can categorically say that. Anger is never needed. However, the appearance of anger might be needed. You can appear to be angry, and it's not even deceptive. It's just your appearance is quite similar to getting angry. You can shout. You can scold. You can scowl. <laughs> you can scold. You can do all of that without getting angry. It's just, I'm trying to impress upon you the severity of this, and that's what this facial expression means. It's communication, right? The anger inside is not necessary. It's an interesting question. Is all suffering time-based? Is the present moment the true liberation? No. No, suffering is not time-based at all. Our conception of time is a part of the problem, absolutely. It's what creates so much suffering. But the suffering is absolutely in the present moment. So it's not that when you're in the present you don't suffer. It, it actually is, but how do I word this? It's not that... It's not that there is no suffering in the present moment. It's that when you are present, when you're actually clearly aware and purely aware of things, there's no suffering because of the suffering. Because of the... Ex it's, it's complicated because there's two kinds of suffering. There's things that are unsatisfying and then there is the dissatisfaction based on them. So if they're not satisfying but you're not expecting to be satisfied by them, then they're not dissatisfying get my point hmm. here's someone who disagrees very strongly with my thoughts on schizophrenia I might be completely wrong I don't think I don't think that's a valid characterization of me but and so I'm not going to show that. But um, it's what I said been could it's what I said be dangerous. Um, well, it depends who you ask, I suppose. I, I've read I read a very interesting article by a schizophrenic doctor, and he was told that he could never he should look for a job like pumping gas or something because as a schizophrenic he just wouldn't be able to function on a higher level and uh, he he, just, he talked about how he was able to differentiate his uh, hallucinations or his experiences he called hallucinations from his reactions in, in the sense that reminding himself his practice and, and it was so close to mindfulness it was quite remarkable he said reminding himself that they were just hallucinations. He was not trying to get rid of his hallucinations, stop himself from experiencing them. He said that's not the proper way, That's not wasn't feasible. He just had to find tools, tricks, means, methods by which to remind himself that the hallucinations were just hallucinations, that they weren't real. And so we would say, yes, they are real, but it's really a technicality. In the sense, he's right. The reality doesn't extend farther, doesn't extend beyond the experience. So everything else we think about them, like there's this person telling me to do this and so on, is all not real. So, so I disagree that, that um, I don't think I've got it wrong because I'm not just following my own idea. And 
I, I'm sorry that there's such a strong disagreement, but I know I talked to another, more recently I talked to another schizophrenic who said he just didn't feel like he could do meditation because the paranoia wasn't something that he could dissociate from. He couldn't, he couldn't free himself from the paranoia. It was just automatic. And so I agree that it's habitually automatic, but it's only habitually automatic. There are ways of changing your habits. It might be challenging, difficult, perhaps even impossible for the individual, but it is the way. It is, um, generally speaking, possible. In my opinion. So I don't think we need so much room for the question or else we can make the question bigger here. Let's see if I can do this. Let me see. Hopefully this doesn't mess everything up. Let's try a little bit. Oh yes, that works. Okay. I don't know if it's necessary for it to be that big, but you all have your eyes closed anyway, right? You don't actually mean it. Getting carried away with imagination often. Situations where I am important and praised. Is it possible to find the root of this or is it something we should just be aware of not buying into? No, it's not usually, it's not really necessary to find the root of things. So what you're saying is really can apply to any general situation. You should just be aware of things and not buy into it. I think but not buying into things is a sort of a crude but accurate way of describing uh, what, what we're talking about. Medicine to First Nations people entails more than just the physical. Are there any similarities between what they teach and what you teach that you know of regarding healing practices? I doubt it. I don't know enough about it, but I doubt it. I, I, would, I would imagine it's... I mean, again, it's going to very depend on the person. Is that person teaching that enlightened? Could be. Could very well be. But I would say, just like with other, any other spiritual or religious or, or any, any other anything journey, path, whatever you want to call it, um, way of life, um, culture, whatever the word you want to use is. And they, I think they call it First Nations uh, spirituality. Um, it, 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 almost always it's just samsara. So it would have much more in common with any other medicine-based spirituality. You don't just accidentally become mindful. It's not actually that easy. 
Oh, good. Here's a here's a COVID question. COVID questions are good because they're it's important. Everyone's thinking about these things. Wearing goggles, oh dear. I didn't realize it gotten so severe that you have to wear goggles. Why would you wear goggles? Does it affect your eyes? Do you mean a do you really mean goggles? Having trouble reconciling my actions of not wearing them at times. I'm not sure what exactly you're asking, but uh, okay, let's focus on the important part. They look silly and I feel like a pariah. Yes, absolutely. You should. Do. Well, any advice? Use mindfulness to try and deal with that part. As far as your need to wear goggles, I can't really comment. I don't know your situation. But if you haven't read my booklet, I would recommend that and see if that helps you to you know, focus on those emotions, those states, those thoughts, all of that. I think teaching others is a hindrance to one's own practice. It's a double-edged sword. It can both help and hinder. It's easy to get distracted by teaching. It's also very convenient in keeping you focused on the teachings your whole life. You know? If you're teaching, then it becomes the teachings become another, just one more part of your life. They can. You know, absolutely. You shouldn't set yourself up as a teacher. A big problem is people... A, want to be a teacher, or B, want other people to learn from them. And they're very they're, they're two different things. So wanting to be a teacher is the ego, of course. But wanting other people to learn is craving. Maybe just wanting them to praise you, that's also another problem. But I mean specifically wanting people to get benefit, and that's a problem. You can't want people to gain a benefit. It, it, it doesn't help you in teaching. It doesn't help them in learning. You have to just present and have no expectations about results. What to do when one has fear of being reborn in a bad place? Well, just like any fear, you should know to afraid, afraid. But you should also practice and do good deeds, realizing that it's a very possible, very real possibility to be reborn in a reborn in a bad place. Over the years, my fondness for alone time has grown immensely. I already enjoyed my alone time anyway. Those around me frequently take this personally. How to best communicate? Well, try not to be around such people. That's that's too cruel. But try and try and well, you don't even really have to try. I would say don't try. 
just try and be mindful. Don't let it get to you, I guess. Um, but also try and be understanding and sensitive and, and a little bit approachable. Because we who, who spend time alone can become grumpy and unpleasant. And that's not really nice. It's important to be friendly. And I would say as long as you're being friendly, you don't have to be communicative. You can smile, you can be kind, and you should communicate. It doesn't mean it, you shouldn't cut off all communication. That's not really, really, that's not healthy. It's not good for your practice either. So a little bit of communication, but minimal and, and to the point, useful and kind. Oh, I cut off part of your sentence. You're not asking how to communicate. Just a second. Does YouTube have a limit? How best communicate this need with kindness and when to leave it be? You shouldn't have a need is, I think, the point. Right, so here's the point. The, the fondness for alone time, you have to let go of that. Because that's craving, that's clinging, that's going to cause you stress and suffering when people attack you. Or, or take it personally. You shouldn't communicate the need at all because there shouldn't be a need. There should be, perhaps you could say a preference, but it's less a preference and it's more just a default state. When there's nothing else to do, you go back to being alone. That's a good, a good place to be, I think. So here there's more talk you people are talking back and forth about meta. Yeah, that's good. So David Hansen, thank you. Looks this guy's a guy to listen to, I think. Meta is a good support, yes. So meta meditation, we we give it way too much value, you know. I mean, it's just taken on a life of its own where people take it as their main practice and so on. Yeah, the Buddha taught it. Yeah, he did. But he taught so many things. And we latch on to that and think somehow that that's going to be enough. And it's really not. You can't take metta as your... Well, you can take metta as your main meditation in the beginning. But it's not going to get you where you need to go. If you want to take it on, go off in the forest. Really, go off in the forest and practice it deeply. And once you've deeply become focused on that, then start practicing vipassana. But you know, if you don't have time to go off in the forest, practice it occasionally, but focus much, much, much more on mindfulness because it's much, much more something the Buddha stressed and, and had us focus on. It's not just me who says, I don't think it's that important. Look at the Buddha's teaching. He taught it. He did teach it, but he taught many things. He never said, this is the way, this is the only way. Hey, Parto. John Nash. Tricks, techniques to deal with schizophrenia. So yeah, um, I think mindfulness could fall in the category of tricks, techniques. It's, tricks is a bit... Um, 
pejorative, I suppose, or, or denigrating. But techniques, um, I think mindfulness of all techniques is, is, a, is the, the one. How do I overcome anger? Oops, wait, here we are. I'm just interrupting your conversation. I'm sorry for butting in here, but maybe I shouldn't. But I'm going to for a bit, and then maybe I'll let it go. I'm just going to talk about this. So, um, used to be angry, but overcame it. I, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but I mean, the idea that I never was never angry. I don't want to talk about myself. Let's not make this personal. Um, you don't really, you don't overcome anger per se. You you just see it clearly, like anything else. So, I guess that's splitting hairs. You you do you do overcome it in that sense. But but what I want to get away from is the idea that you should somehow be free from the anger. Because that comes, but that's not your practice. You don't climb over it or something like that. You focus on it, right? Overcome means like climbing over it. Don't climb over it. Study it. Anyway, I'll let you guys talk if you want to keep this cross chatter. In fact, that's not. You should you should close your close your eyes. If you're not using your eyes, close them. So everyone, this this new format of our stream is uh, we've evolved beyond video. This is the next level. And so the idea is that you're actually being mindful and meditating during this time. When, not, when you don't need to use your eyes, you just close them. And you can focus on the sound of my voice saying hearing, hearing, as well as everything else you experience, the feelings in the room and your seat. Maybe the rising and falling motion of the abdomen. Maybe the heat and cold sound in the room, that sort of thing. Your thoughts, your emotions, of course. So this can be our Dhamma-savana meditation. Meditation listening to the Dhamma. During walking meditation, is it better to note micro-movements as opposed to more general motion? Um, I would say if you, better, provisionally, yes, the, the, the former is better, the micro-movements, but it's more advanced, let's say. And so when we do a meditation course, we start the meditation off, off by saying stepping right, stepping left, and then we, we give them further exercises that sort of micro Make it more more refined. So if you've ever heard people doing lifting, moving, lowering, then that's where that comes from. We just don't start with that. So the booklet doesn't have it because 
uh, the booklet is just the first step. So a lot of people I've I've tried I had because of the limitation there I've had to had to tell say again and again that don't rely on the booklet as a be all end all. It's the first step. If you that's why it's the first step towards taking a course, and that's why we've started these at home courses so people can take the next step even if they're not able to come here. I think I've almost got caught up, so I'm going to quickly go through these and then I'm going to end at nine, one hour. Okay, it's a little bit slower having to pace these. Maybe I'll find a way to pace them quite more quickly. Is it beneficial to consciously avoid people that have caused us lots of emotional pain or more beneficial to freely interact them? So just because they've caused emotional pain in the past, it, it's not necessarily a reason to avoid them, but it's a good indicator that they might cause problems in the future and yes you should limit your interaction with people who are toxic who are harmful because it's not good for them it's not good for you it's certainly not good for your meditation you should summon kindness you should not be angry or upset when you have to be near them and when you are you should try to be mindful of that and so on Anyone link to the article Yutadamo was talking about? Yeah, if anyone could. I, I mean, it's a long time. I read it in a magazine many, many years ago. I don't even remember. Maybe I think I was in Los Angeles at the time. That's all I can remember about it. If anyone knows, if anyone's ever read that obscure article, please. Uh, I think it was in a popular newspaper or magazine or something. Okay, we got lots of questions coming. I'm going to try to... I don't know if I'm... I'm just going to not paste for a bit here. How to control my anger? Don't try to control it. Just try and be mindful of it. See it clearly. Try and... Yes, you can overcome it. You can free yourself from it completely through meditation, but it takes work. How do you extinguish craving for romantic relationships? Just try and be mindful. Don't worry too much about it. Um, try and work on seeing it clearly, and you'll find it's more manageable at least. Eventually you do away with it. Do some intensive practice, and you'll see oh, you're able to change that a lot. Is Buddhism more needed in adverse times, which could get more unstable, or does it need social stability to be effective? Uh, my brain is shutting off. I don't know. It's a good question. Maybe ask it next time. I would say because I want to say both. I want to say just off the top of my head, it's um, needed in adverse times and it's helpful when society becomes more stable. Healthy expectations in relationship. Mm. I wouldn't. I would try to let go of expectations more than have expectations. Although, you know, to some extent there are going to be expectations, so just try and see them as as functional and matter of course and, and rather than see it's it's less about the expectations than about your reactions to when they're not met and that sort of thing.
Is it possible for intent during meditation to create anger? I'm going to wait. There, I'll just turn those off during this last part. It's possible for intent during meditation to create anger. It's possible for anger to arise during meditation, even based on what you're doing in meditation. But that's a part of the learning experience. Seeing that clearly is seeing how you create anger. And when you see that clearly, it starts to change because no one wants to be angry. Seeing it clearly will absolutely free you from it. It's just going to take some time to understand what you're doing to create it because you don't even know what you're doing wrong, right? Unable to have internet connection every couple of weeks. How flexible is the scheduling? It could be flexible. You know, we'll work something out. Just look on our website, try and get a feel for how it works. It's supposed to be once every week. We meet every once every week, but if you can't do that, well, we can work around your schedule. You can just click and and switch your 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 slot. As long as you've done at least a week and you're doing every day one hour a week. Every day, one hour a day, sorry. Or more. All right, we're done. That's all. Oops, it didn't change. Oh, that's funny. Let's hear. There, now it's gone. I turned off the question, but it didn't carry over. All right, so this is the end. I hope you found this beneficial. My my expectation is that it won't be as um, as attractive to the general public and that we might see a drop in people watching these videos. On the other hand, it might increase. But absolutely, absolutely, I think it's a positive change. Based on my experience just of this and based on my reflection on, on, on doing this, but now we have the experience, and I think it was absolutely worth it to do this because it creates a less sort of intense experience and it forces you to go back in on yourself. If you have this, especially if you were to full screen this, you know, full screen this black screen, put it on full screen, and all you see is this, this uh, brainwashing text to go to our website. I don't know if that, I think the text is is, is innocuous. I don't think it's really brainwashing. There's no subliminal messaging intended. But you should have your eyes closed when you don't need them. And this encourages that. So I hope you found it beneficial. Wish you all the best. Peace to everyone.